on the banks of the Grand River, high above the Allura Gorge. This is the Buzzer Podcast. Indie music, new releases, industry insiders, out-of-the-box conversations with guests from the true north, from the west coast to the east coast, to across the pond, and from down under. And now, here is Shay. Hey, y'all. I am Shay. This is the Buzzer Podcast. Welcome and enjoy. Episode 62. Today in 1963, the Rolling Stones played their first ever gig outside London when they appeared at the Alcove Club in Yorkshire, supporting the Hollies. The following year, the Animals went to number one on the UK singles chart with the House of the Rising Sun. It was recorded in one take and was the first UK number one to clock a playtime of over four minutes. Today is part one of my chat with Bill Moore. Bill Moore is president of Consumer Products MD. Consumer Products MD is a multi-channel brand development and monetization agency. It serves consumer products, CPG, and entertainment industries. Bill offers valuable insight on the monetization and marketing of music. As well, we talk about the misconceptions artists hold that hold them back. Enjoy the show. Hey, Bill, how are you today? I'm well, Shay, how are you? I'm great, I'm great. Thank you for joining the podcast. This is awesome. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to your uh, your take on um, what artists need to do and uh, your expertise in uh, branding and uh, marketing. I'm really looking forward to what you have to say. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your background before we go into the chat? Sure, absolutely. I'm a Vancouver, B.C. native. And I grew up a military brat, which means I moved all over Canada and uh, loved every minute of it. So I've lived in, I think, well, just about every province. And uh, we really have an amazing country. So music with me started at 15. I saw Jimmy Page playing a guitar solo on a video somewhere on some music show. Oh, yeah. And I went, okay, that's what I want to do. So I got a guitar, which I think my parents got for me at Sears for 99 bucks. It was a, a Les Paul sun, like a 59 sunburst knockoff. Okay. And uh, started hanging out with musicians and quickly realized, well, why they all die at 27, <laughs> which isn't a funny thing. And observed uh, the one thing they all had in common was they were all broke. Uh, and as fate would have it, I really suck at a guitar. Oh, and by the way, the, Malcolm Gladwell, who's an amazing author, he says in his book, I think it's Outliers, that if, yeah. you, spend, if you spend 10,000 hours at anything, you're an expert. And I can say that's 100% bullshit because I put more than, <laughs> than 10,000 hours in uh, into guitar. Yeah, that's so it's, okay. it's nothing that I was going to become an expert at. Uh, and Malcolm, if you're listening, it was me that turned Tommy Thayer on to you. So don't be pissed at me. So after, you know, I realized I wasn't going to be a famous guitar player and I decided to uh, get out of school. 
and go make money. Okay. And after trying everything that looked fun for a few years, I eventually landed in the sporting goods business in 1983. And uh, let's see. And then I got married to a great gal, moved to the U.S., raised a family and lived throughout the U.S., working with sporting goods companies, uh, which exposed me to celebrity athletes, their their agents, managers, their handlers, Mm -hmm. uh, and the whole machine that goes into, you know, building a star. Mm-hmm. Um, so did a lot of licensing contract negotiation and learned at a really young age, you get way more bees with honey. So, uh, career wise, I'm a consumer package guy. I'm a, I'm, I'm a marketing capitalist. Okay. What I mean by that is, is I keep track of, you know, the revenue generated from the brands I've worked with. So I, I'm at 1.4 trillion us, by the way. Okay. Uh, so to date, so I've kept track with all these brands over the years and, you know, different projects that I've worked on. So I've got a running spreadsheet of results. Yeah, definitely have a lot of amazing results, actually. And you've also uh, helped artists with their branding. Yeah, in 2009, yeah, it was 2009. One of the brands that I was working with decided we want to do business with Kiss. They had this okay. really cool product that changed color in the sun. And it was, it was really cool. So I challenged them and I wow. said, I said, do the kiss logo. And uh, so they did the kiss logo and they inside it was white. And then when you went outside in the sun, it burst into that, you know, kiss logo that we all know and love. So I reached out to Gene and said, Hey, we want to do this with you. And he had doc McGee call me. And, uh, it was funny because I was living in Barrie at the time. And when Doc and I connected, um, he was like, send me some stuff. And I said, where are you? And he said, I'm in Casino Rama. And I went, <laughs> I'm in Barrie. He said, what does that mean? I said, you're 30 minutes from me. Uh-huh. So, so we started laughing and, you know, we hit it off. We went to the Kiss show that night and, uh, you know, we've developed a friendship and I've been working with them ever since. As a matter of fact, the last pay gig in music I've had was the uh, the Guinness World Record breaking Kiss 2020 Goodbye, which was live from Dubai stream. Oh, yeah, that was an amazing concert. Yeah, we broke uh, two Guinness World Book of Records. So that was that was pretty cool. Oh, well, done. but that's that's been it in terms of like a pay gig in in music. That's it. But uh, going back to just to my, my background, in 2009, I also okay. got involved with a, a film project about a Canadian rock band that will remain nameless that kind of threw me into the Canadian music business. Okay. Um, because before that, I had no real exposure to it. So since 2009, um, I've been exposed to it. And it's, a, it's an interesting business filled with some really interesting people. No, it definitely is. What are the common misconceptions uh, that you see that artists hold that hold them back? Uh, a few things come to mind. It's just, I've worked, or I shouldn't say worked with, I've met a lot of artists that were, um, you know, wanting to develop their, their, their brand and, and to take it out to, to the world. And I guess the one thing I notice is there's this, you know, build it and they'll come. That's an old expression that um, goes back to my, you know, my consumer products days. 
Mm-hmm. And you need more than just a great product. So and I think that a lot of artists spend way too much time just on their music and they think I'm just the music end of it. There's no, they don't perceive it as anything beyond what they create sometimes. So mm-hmm. there's no, there's no thought given to developing their brand and, you know, and brands can change over the years. I mean, many brands do all the successful big ones do even something like Coca-Cola, which says, no, that has never changed. It changes all the time. It's like they adjust their logo every, I think it's annually. I'm trying to remember their brand guidelines. It changes just a little bit every year. So it, you know, it stays modern, stays up to date. Okay. Um, the other misconception they have is, is, uh, is about money because it, it costs money to, you know, to be in the music business and it's, You need to investment spend just like a person making a product and bringing it to market without exception. Every single one of those people building that product have to invest in the, not just the product, but there's the, the marketing of the product, the the, the communications of the product, developing Mm -hmm. a, a customer base. And there's so many things that artists can just learn from like traditional marketing. And do you feel that uh, in terms of investment, that they should be investing in outside uh, expertise for these things? Uh, Initially, no. Initially, they need to understand the business because it's one thing that's always shocked me is the the amount of people that I meet that have been in this business for a really long time Mm -hmm. that know very little about the business and how it works. And what's more concerning is when you hear an expert, and I use that term loosely and I'm holding up my fingers, making those funky quotation marks. When you have an expert give you advice and you hear things that are just flat out wrong and it's, it's, it's not accurate. So there's, this permeates this business more so than any other business that I've, that I've worked in. And it's really, really, really dangerous. And you, you hear these people making these commitments and throwing information around. And it's, it's uh, you know, you, someone talking to an artist at a show and it's like, hey, I have a record label. And the artist loses his mind because somebody has a record label. So okay. What's your record label? Is it a big record label? Is it a small record label? And inevitably it seems like everybody's got a record label. So what, what have you heard that's wrong that was being told to artists? Well, there's, you know, it, it depends on the, you know, the context of the conversation. Okay. For example, it's everybody dreams of getting a, a record deal. And they think that's the, the pinnacle of success. Well, I've seen people get record deals and it's, certainly not the pinnacle of success. And then it's a matter of if you get a record deal, then what is involved in the deal? It's going to be a 360 deal. Okay. Where a label is going to, I mean, a smart label um, is going to lay out and you're going to be, you're going to be owned. And that's because there's a machine that exists to create, you know, it's a pay to play business. So I was reading something the other day about payola. You know, everybody thinks payola has gone away, but it's just changed yeah. its form. Yeah, so now you have large corporate entities running and it's promotional dollars. It's promotional spend. It's 
you know, it's still payola in its, you know, old form. It's not a 45 stuffed with hundred dollar bills like it used to be, or a, a bag of cocaine and, and, yeah. and, hooker, and hookers on Friday night. They don't, <laughs> you know, if that still goes on, I don't know. I've never been exposed to that. Although I've heard some stories. Uh, I think everybody has. Now it's corporate entities that are running things. So, you know, it's Disney, it's the large broadcasting corporations. So, and it's still, they're, they're going to get their, their artists on air. And if you want to get an artist on air, you can certainly pay to get an artist on air. You're going to have to be investing in some advertising dollars um, mm-hmm. and you need to support the infrastructure. And do you think that works in favor of the artists or is it just the way it is? Well, it's going to work in favor of the artist that's being promoted, obviously, particularly for radio play. Okay. And I, I listen to the radio. I don't listen to streaming. I seldom listen to streaming, and I prefer not to because, sure, they're getting paid, but not very much. And I listen to the radio, and I listen to Canadian radio, and people ask me, why do you always listen to the radio? And it's simple, because I'm listening to see who's getting paid. So does that extend, like, this uh, whole... Uh, promotional dollar payola, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, does that extend to um, agencies that uh, you pay to be on the roster, you pay for their services in order to get gigs? I think the, the real question here is, is, is to back up to, it's what does the artist want to do? Because something pops to mind. I have a an artist up in Barrie that... Okay. When I first saw this artist, I said, do you want to do you want to be a star because you have everything? And he looked at me, and said, Bill, you know, I only do this for fun. And I really like what I do. I like playing my my bar gigs. And that's all I want to do. I have no desire to take this any further. And that's really what the artist needs to look at. So if somebody that's driven and that's been doing this and has been putting in the sweat equity, yeah. like, with, with, like with building a business. So building your, mis- uh, building your music is, is the same thing. You're building your business. You're mm-hmm. investing into it. So therefore, you should be monetizing. Otherwise, you're always going to be that musician part-time and that have two jobs. And something, that's, it's, that's something else that's unique about Canada, too, is the amount of rock stars that have second jobs that I've noticed. And it's people would think they'd look and say, Oh, so-and-so. And then you find out, okay, they're only getting 300 bucks a gig. It's not their band. And right. he's a bricklayer or he's an electrician. There's nothing wrong with that. But artists, some artists, um, they want more than that. If an artist is just content having their, their music put out there, then fantastic. Then put it out and, use all the social media platforms that are available and use everything you do that you want to get your music out there. Um, if somebody's really committed and thinks, okay, I want to be a star and I want, you know, they look at Bieber or weekend or any of you, any of the big Canadian acts and they want to do that. Then you have to realize, okay, there's a machine that exists. How do I get plugged into that machine? You know, the Bieber story is great. Yeah. It was found on YouTube. Yeah, you get spotted. You get a 15-year-old or a 14-year-old singing like an angel. And it's like, wow. And a star's created. But you need that talent. I remember I asked, uh, I asked Doc once, I Doc McGee, I said, what do you like best about Canadian artists? He goes, oh, I, 
They're great to work with. They're so friendly. All the Canadian artists are nice. <laughs> That's what they say. And I said, nope, not some of the ones I know, pal. I think every artist has that, that sort of a, a conflict in the sense that they want to monetize it, but they honestly either are being improperly guided or they don't know where to guide themselves to or how to do it. Do you have any ideas on how they could monetize it? Yeah, there's a thousand people on YouTube that are indie artists that have navigated and understand the music business. Um, a lot of them have free, here's how you do it. Uh, other ones have subscription models that you want to, uh, you know, that they want you to pay to play. Um, I would say you don't need to do that. You can just spend some time with YouTube and Google and learn the basics of the business and understand where the money is made and understand who sends checks. Under what topic are they on YouTube? Uh, how to monetize your music. Okay. So right. That makes uh, sense. <laughs> Yeah, so Google search how to monetize my music, how to make money with music, etc. Any of those search and they will, you know, the algorithm will pick it up and it'll pop up all kinds of interesting information. And there's some that are really well done. There's some that are like 10 minutes long that give you a really good uh, basics understanding of, of what you need to know. Okay. Well, just sometimes have, uh, being signed to a label holds you back because I have heard personally stories from artists that have been signed um, and their music never gets distributed like and or they're forced to work with other artists that they don't want to and things like that. Absolutely. I had a, um, a client with a international publishing company that didn't list the client on their website. Uh, because I was told that somebody had sex with somebody must be 40 years ago. Okay. And that they, they held a grudge. So I thought to myself, nobody holds a grudge for 40 years. So they had sex 40 years ago. And so, and, and somebody held a grudge for 40 years. And I went, really, you would let that get in the way of, you know, doing your job. There's a contract here that says you need to, do X, Y, Z to promote and market the brand. And they weren't even listed on the website. So, yeah, and it's, and I've seen things in contracts with the word perpetuity. Yeah, I've seen it too. Where, there's this word, like, reading, remember the first contract that I read was, was actually a publishing deal. Okay. And the word perpetuity was in there. And, and I stopped and I went, Wow. I've never seen a perpetuity clause in a contract before. So I called a buddy of mine. He's a sports licensing lawyer. And I said, do you have perpetuity? He goes, I wish. But he goes, yeah, no, you know, our clients are, what he said to me, he goes, our clients are too smart for that. They wouldn't sign that because they all have agents representing them. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, um, you know, when a contract is presented in the music business and musicians are famous for this as many different like sporting goods guys used to be famous for it until they all got agents. Okay. Uh, and just randomly signing a contract. 
So, you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in perpetuity. So nothing should be forever. And if it is, then what is the deal? And what are the obligations of that publisher? What is the obligations of that agent, that, that social media marketing person, whoever you're employing to extend your brand, get your music out there so that you mm-hmm. can benefit from it? So it should be more structured, more transparent. Uh, yeah, and there's not a lot of transparency in music because the, and some of the contracts are, uh, uh, you know, the publishing contracts with the larger companies, and and, and even them, they, they, even then they vary. So there's, you know, there's like boilerplate contracts, obviously, but then, you know, things get changed out, and you have an artist who's a young person. Let's say they're, I don't know, they're in their twenties. They're going to become someone's approaching them with a record deal. Everything looks wonderful. And, you know, they sign the deal. They don't have professional management. They haven't had a lawyer look at the deal. Um, Mm -hmm. There's some great entertainment lawyers in Canada. There's Kurt Dahl is a, actually he's a drummer as well, is a, is a very good Canadian employment lawyer and Mm -hmm. he won't break the bank. Right. So if, you know, obviously I can't say he's going to do anything pro bono, but you know what, I would recommend everybody to shoot a contract by, by people like Kurt Mm -hmm. and uh, and have him comment on it. So, you know, I think people get into these deals and they ink them. I remember hearing stories. uh, I think it was Eddie Kramer was telling a story about um, Jimi Hendrix would ink like deals left, right, and center. Someone who put a deal in front of him and Jimi Hendrix was signing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think that goes on anymore because there's such, there's more of a consolidation in the media. Mm-hmm. Cause you, you have a handful of players that own all the major broadcast networks, radio, TV, internet, etc. So now it's more consolidated. And there is a machine. There's a star creation machine. You know, it exists in the U.S. That's why you see so many Canadian artists that, you know, they go to the U.S. It's because they have that machine. It's it's built. It works. And it's, you know, it's a pay to play. And do you feel that uh, in order to break the U.S. market, you need to be part of that machine? Or is there is there opportunities like... Justin Bieber, but actually he didn't break international until he got part of the machine. Correct. Either. So do you feel is that that's what to strive for if you want to work in the business as a business? If you want to be a rock star. Okay. I mean, fame is not fun. I mean, people think, oh, I could be a rock star. This is going to be wonderful. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> It's 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 as much a curse as it is a blessing. And I guess it also has to do with how you how you deal with it and how most importantly, how it affects you as a person. But even like Bieber, who's all that natural talent, he didn't become the star that he is today until. You know, he was molded. Yeah, 100 percent. And there's all kinds of star creation machines out there. And I think. other misconceptions that I see a lot, I see this with classic bands, legacy bands. Okay. We talked about, uh, you know, how do I increase awareness for my, for, for my band? How do I monetize my band further? 
And then you you ask things, you say, well, what are you doing on TikTok? And they say, well, well you know, what's TikTok? Why would I be on TikTok? And I mean, number mm-hmm. one is get the Chinese market. You know, the fastest growing market on the planet. They're ravenous for music. Okay. Yeah, you got to jump through some hoops you, and you need to conform. I mean, just the same as you have to conform in Canada. You're going to put something on the airways anywhere. You have to conform to the airway rules. A hundred percent. And there's a big giant market in in uh, in China just awaiting. I mean, a good example of this is the uh, the boy band BLS, the Korean boy band. Yeah. They did so. It's still the largest stream event, I believe. I know the the Kiss one we did. We we tried to hit. We tried to break that world record with the largest uh, streaming event. Yeah. But we couldn't break the record. And when you look at why they were successful, China. Yeah, a lot of people in the U.S. watched it too. A lot of Canadians watched it. A lot of people watched it. But you know what? They were integrated into that Chinese system, so it was more of a a global delivery. Yeah, 100%. And when was that event? I'm, uh, trying, to, I'm trying to remember it. I'm trying to remember it. It was last year. Yeah, it was last year. But they've done, they've done quite a bit. Um, and they're very successful in marketing their brand. Yeah, it's quite interesting. When you look into the company that runs it, it's a, it's a group out of South Korea. Brand new on the scene. Really? So all these new guys come in and... They're doing it their way. Yeah, there's one thing about that group is they, um, I, was, I was actually talking with an artist on the show about them particularly, and they're true to themselves. You should always be true to yourselves. Yeah, but there was this band, they, they seem to, uh, they do things out of the box and it seems natural to them. Now, whether it's a branding or... Uh, just the energy of this particular group. Whatever they do works so um, over the top, so to speak. Yeah, I think it was they just looked at the success of the, like the boilerplate, boilerplate boys bands that the U.S. has been pumping out. Yeah. There's lots of examples of, of different, you know, just copying. It's uh, Jaws 1, Jaws 2, Jaws 3. Really? Just, you know, Star Wars remakes. So there's, you know, that to me was, you know, I applaud them with their success, but it wasn't really anything any different other than the delivery mechanism and where they were focusing on. So they looked, okay. at, they looked at Asia as a market because they're, they're Asian performers. And do you think a Canadian artist if their music is being uh, listened to in another country, uh, should focus on outside of the Canadian borders more so? Absolutely. It's, it's global. It's global now. So we don't live in a... Uh, music has no borders. And I'm not sure why we treat it like it does. You know, I talk to artists. It's like, great, you're a household name. You're a rock star. And you're broke, so you need to make some money. Let's go and market your product in other than Canada. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love my country, but Canadians are Canadians are lazy. And 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 I'll demonstrate that with some numbers. In 2018, there mm-hmm. was a uh, um, I can't remember which association it was. I can I can get the details, but 
the long and the short of it was 52% of Canadian entertainment spend, meaning how much money they spend on entertainment a year, is spent at home, sitting on the couch. Um, 9% was spent on, 9 to 11% was spent on live music. Now, you compare that to the U.S. Wow. Americans spend 25%. So increasingly in Canada, you have like people with their asses getting fat sitting at home on the couch and they're not getting out and supporting live music. And you look at artists, when I talk with artists and I said, what are you doing now to attract your audience? So you're going to rely upon your, your same audience that you've had for 50 years. Well, guess what? It's, 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 it's law of diminishing returns. You need to do mm-hmm. something like you go to a you go to a kiss concert. You'll see grandfather, father, son. I mean, you see this all the time. Um, you know, Doc will give anybody under 13, let them into festivals for free. Let's you know, let's get the kids. Let's expose them to the to the band and the fun, the frivolity and all that. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of the things that frustrates me is because when I dig into a brand, it's like, it gets exciting, a band, a brand to me, it's the same thing. And you see an opportunity and then you'll talk to a band leader and they'll be like, yeah, I don't want to do that. And it's like, well, why not? Why don't you want to expose your music to a larger scale? Why don't you want to do three or four 15 second TikTok videos? that some 15-year-old kid's going to love because you know what? You're one of the world's best fucking guitar players. You're one of the world's best singers. You're, you know, uh, why are you keeping yourself a secret? Yeah. And they look at you and they go, what? I'm not a secret. I'm, I'm, I'm a legendary, iconic Canadian rock star. Or, you know, you ask 15-year-olds, you ever heard of A, B, or C? And they're like, huh? And it's that's and that's the key and to to reach out and not just rely upon your uh, your traditional market, because guess what? They you know, people aren't going out. Yeah, there's so much new going on. I mean, if you look at the basics for um, like delivery of. TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. Um, Snapchat. I mean, there's just a whole variety of, of social media platforms that that have the ability to, you know, help artists communicate not only with their existing fans but with new fans. So, what what sort of ideas, like just short ideas, um, that an artist or a band can do for that 15 seconds of TikTok? Do what they do best. Do what made them famous. I talked to guys, you know, there's, I got a phone call um, about two years ago Mm -hmm. and somebody's inebriated saying, Hey, guess which one of my songs made it in the top 150. So I guessed the song. He was like, you saw it. And I went, no, it's your number one song. (laughs) And so it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. And I encourage artists to do their number one song. Forget about the other stuff. So if you're a legacy artist and you've got one monster hit, then great, do that. If you have five monster hits, then take your biggest one. Okay. And then do the next one and have variations on that monster hit if you only have one. If you've got several, then great. And by variations, you mean like uh, 
uh, stripped down version or of the same song or uh, like how would how would they variate? Ideally, you're you're working like on TikTok. I mean, different platforms are different, but yeah. TikTok, for example, the key is is 15 second videos and frequency. So you want to do 15 second videos. You want to get two or three a day up there. And this isn't fancy. This isn't production. This is iPhone and a guitar and an amp. Or if you're a singer, then you're going to be doing some vocals. So we're not talking about big production, but it's to put it out there and, and encourage people to have fun with it. Yeah, I was speaking to an artist the other day and they're on their primary channel uh, platform is TikTok. And they're on about five times a day. And uh, they're getting a lot, a, a pretty solid following. I had this conversation. I had a, a meeting at my house with uh, a gentleman. He manages bands. Okay. And uh, and a guy that's in the uh, that works with bands. And we were sitting and we were talking about how to promote a particular Canadian band. And they were big in the eighties. And it's like great, you know, TikTok, 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 and. One of the guys looked at me and said, TikTok, that's not our market. And I went, excuse me, how can TikTok? So I got into this conversation. So I reached out with to uh, different people that I know, knowing what the answer would be. So I reached out to uh, somebody that I know that's uh, A&R for uh, Universal, um, Def Jam, and, and a couple other labels. And I said, how important is TikTok? And I knew the answer and it would be an and A and B, if it's important, what's the plan for success? And his response was, it's huge. You need it. Uh, 15 second videos, three times a day, if you can do it and just keep plugging away at it. And it's, you know, it's an important part because when we get back to normal, if that occurs, yeah. And when promoters and agents and people are looking at musicians and what's their portfolio, how are they managing and advertising their brand? How have they been marketing? How are they communicating their music out to fans? And if they don't see like TikTok on there, they're going to think, oh, so we have to do that work ourselves. So you think that's what they're going to be looking for is current? One of the things. Because you need to keep current. And one of the challenges I see, particularly with, with legacy bands, is they don't keep current. They think that, okay, Facebook is my social media presence. And you know, there's, there's whole demographics that don't have Facebook. Facebook is for old people. You know, even Instagram is, they're saying Instagram is getting for less old people. So, I mean, the key here is for artists is, Keep abreast of what's going on here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And there's they're springing up all the time. And if something springs up, it's a lot of pay to play. So there's lots of online experts that want you to subscribe. And they're going to guarantee you some results, which inevitably they're not guaranteed. You're, you're paying some money. You're, you're going to learn something. They're going mm -hmm. to perform a service, et cetera. So even before an artist gets to that, you know, and going back to what I said earlier, they need to go online and understand the business and, and see if this is really a business they want to be 
involved with because having worked in mm-hmm. a, a number of different industries, uh, the music business is, is quite different because it's filled with experts that aren't experts. It's filled with people that tell you they can get things done when in fact they can't. It's uh, a okay. poser, I guess, just the word that, that comes to mind. And the, uh, this business just seems filled with people that appear to be one thing, but in fact, are something entirely different. That's very interesting. Well, it's let me let me ask you a question, Shay. Mm-hmm. You've been in the business a long time. How many how many people have you met that have been in the business for a really long time, but don't understand like a songwriter that doesn't understand how publishing works? To be honest with you, I've met quite a few. So, which which to me is shocking. I have met quite a few, and I I've seen a lot of people dwarf into. Um, their expertise is one area, and but they uh, promote services in other areas that, given their background, they don't have. Um, so I don't know if that would be poser. I would say this is more, they're wearing too many hats. I guess the easiest way to say it. Well, I, I see this all the time. You'll see somebody that is, you know, taking care of the band. And then they'll say, well, Bill, we can't afford to have this. We can't afford to have this. You can't afford to have this. Mm -hmm. And then it's a matter of, well, you can't afford not to. Because there's, I mean, the machine exists. There, I mean, it's no secret. Like, what does it cost to become a star? And you can, articles will pop up and they will talk about, you know, for as little as $1,250, we'll get your, we'll get that single on air. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, which sounds like payola, but as we said earlier, now it's different. It's promotional spend. It's you know, there's it's hidden. It still comes down to the same thing. You got to pay to play. But I think what artists need to do is think about and rather than look at everything as a whole, they have to look at it and say, well, what do I want to achieve? Do I want to get out and play live gigs? Do I want to play festivals? Do I want to tour? That makes a lot of sense. So it comes down to business planning in theory. Well, it's one of the notes that I had on the uh, on the list here was develop a plan. Mm-hmm. Because you will have artists that expect somebody to listen to the music and they expect things to happen because they hear stories about you know, Jewel sitting, playing acoustic guitar, busking for, for dollars and a record producer coming by and saying, I'm going to make you a star. Yeah, these things happen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's in Canada, it's like the you have better odds for your kid making the NHL. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree too. But don't you feel too that um, an artist has to have a team around them? Um, If it makes sense, their team should be a, uh, just for lack of a better term, a collection or a a tribe that has different focus, has different focus and a different viewpoint on where they're going and what they should be doing. Like as opposed opposed to having a one-stop shop, um, come under my umbrella and I'll do your social media. I'll do this. I'll do that. Like I tend to think it's better for the artist to be 
selective in the team because even though they can have experts all under an umbrella, you're sort of getting a one viewpoint and an artist benefits by having a whole different viewpoint. Like just like Rolling Stones had a press and uh, public relations for each country, right? So to speak. Do you see where I'm going with that? Well, you need to have that. Yeah, you need to have that. If you're a like a big brand. So if you're an ACDC, Rolling Stones, um, you know, U2, Kiss. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there, because it's run as a business and it's recognized as a business and it's monetized and understood that mm-hmm. way. So it doesn't take away from the artists. I mean, the artists, it's just more work for them to do. Somebody like like Gene Simmons, people have no idea how hard that guy works. You know, being, how old is he now? Like 70 plus? Um, gaining, putting on like 40 pounds, 50 pounds of, of makeup and gear and going out and then coming back and after the show, sitting down for two hours and taking care of licensing negotiations and, and running the KISS business. So, I mean, the people like that are few and far, far between. Like Gene Simmons is like the Elon Musk of, of the music business, okay. right? And then you have some other guys like uh, Mick Jagger, who is like brilliant. You know, he's a graduate of the London School of Economics. And when you think he's drinking a gin and tonic, it's no, he's not. He doesn't drink. It's soda water. And he's only acting drunk because he's taking advantage of you. Okay. I, I get what you're saying, though. The, but, but both of them, both successful franchises to this day, um, in theory, you go back to what you started out with. The artist has to look at it as a business. Well, they have to have the desire if they yeah. want to be. You know, if they look at Bieber and The Weeknd and, you know, Billie Eilish, who, that's who, that's, to me, she's the coolest thing that's come along in, uh, Anyway, a few years anyway. Uh, and if you want to do that, then, then yeah. Then, uh, you know, how, how do you go about that? And I think that's the question. If, and if that's the desire, then yes, you're going to need a team. And then the question is, is well, what's going to drive this? And well, awareness for your music, it's all results. You got to have great music. So it comes down to the product. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the amount of musicians today, there's more musicians today than ever before. There's more content. There's more free content. There's more people willing to do whatever they can to make it in a business. There's, this is more competitive than sports. Or, you know, I would say it's very similarly thinking about that because sports is, you know, you have all these leagues of sports coming up, like great soccer and hockey and all the different sports. And as these kids come up, there's, but there's, there's a, they're molded though. So even like a hockey player, he's 10 years old. He's a star. Yeah. If at 15, he's still a star. Guess what? He's 16. The agents know who he is with music. Uh, not so much because there isn't this uh, machine. There was the machine that where the people would go out and actually go to clubs and watch because it was part of their job, not just to sit there like as an AR guy and like plug stuff in your ears all day long but you need to go out and see a band. You have to be there. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, if anybody hasn't watched creative stories, 
which is a, a film, a documentary, true story. It's not a documentary, sorry, but it's a true story about Alan McGee, the uh, legendary <laughs> record company executive. And, you know, that's who brought Oasis to the mainstream. Mm-hmm. So a really good and that's not dissimilar to some of the experiences I've had where you have, you know, you meet somebody and they go, oh, this is so-and-so. He's a, uh, he's a former whatever. And he, or he has a, a record label. And it's like, great. Artists go, record label, super, I'm going to be famous. So artists need to ask questions. It's like, great, I have a record label. Fantastic. Who do you have signed? You know, if the, if you, if they mention three acts that you've never heard of, well, then you know, maybe it's not a good fit. Okay. Not not saying that a new record label coming up is isn't the place to be because it, maybe it is. But ask good questions and see what they're what they're going to do. Are you how are you going to take me to market? Where do you see my music fitting in? But if somebody's not coming out to see the acts perform. Mm-hmm. Because inevitably, one thing will never change. Live performances are going to drive the income for artists, as well as radio play. And streaming, when, when they get streaming figured out, which will take, you know, music will be arguing with corporate America for, you know, the next 50 years, just like music's always been arguing with the industry about what royalties should be. But specific to Canadian artists, I would, you know, you get more bees with honey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen legacy artists and they still take this heavy handed approach where they make demands of people. And this isn't a world that you make demands in, because if you do, you'll you'll get canceled. And uh, and it's amazing what what people hold grudges for in, in, in the music business. Can you give me examples? Oh, the one I mentioned earlier about... Uh, okay. Well, that sort of leads me up to my next question. What are the things that an artist... Uh, like common sense suggestions for an artist when building a business, like what to avoid, what to look for? Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to Bill Moore for taking the time to give listeners two informative sessions on the industry and his insights. The second part of our chat will air July 14th on the Buzzer After Hours show at 12 midnight. You can listen at thebuzzerpod.com. Tune in to continue the chat. Well, thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please share this episode with others and post about it on social media. To catch all the latest from The Buzzer and upcoming shows, you can follow us on Instagram at The Buzzroll Media and on Twitter at The Buzzer Indie. Catch at the pod next episode on Air Indie. From my pad to yours over the airways. Subscribe feeds at thebuzzerpod.com. Cheers.